What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Wealth Managed podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research for Morningstar. Now, guys, this is Kyle. I'm one of the producers on this show, and I have a question for you. I'm wondering, really, having the benefit of two experts here in wealth management, investments, all of these things, what are the things that you see in people of my generation, maybe mistakes we're making, things we should be doing to prepare for the future? We tend to not, I think, think about finance too much. What should we be thinking about? Well, Kyle, you know, you probably should be investing more money in GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> What terrible advice. Okay, we're down to one and a half experts now. We used to have two, we're just down to one and a half. <laughs> when I think about this, you know, mistakes or investment things people should do, I mean, I think that one thing that Michael and I are keen on is, is investing in human capital. It's getting people to maximize their education, to learn as much as they can. But I mean, there's a lot you can be doing financially, right? I think that, that you want to make sure that you're doing the basic stuff, like you're not getting credit card debt. You want to make sure that you're saving money. But you know, when, when we think at Morningstar about like helping someone accomplish their goals, I think that the most important thing actually for people who are younger is to make them better savers. And so it's it's finding what you're passionate about in terms of a financial goal and getting you to allocate your, your money to that. Because saving is not fun and saving for retirement can be really hard if you're 25 or 30 years old. And so it's, it's like, hey, what matters to you? Do you want to pay down your student loans? Do you want to save to buy a home? What would get you going in terms of helping you make better financial choices. So let's talk about this idea of investing in human capital, because that's the first thing that you said. And I think it's very important, especially right now, because there's good investments in human capital, there's bad investments in human capital. You and I both, when we were working full-time, decided to go back to school, and we both actually got a similar kind of degree. We, I got a PhD in finance, you got a PhD in financial planning. But it was a big inconvenience. It took a lot of time. It took money. Our families had to suffer for a while. It wasn't very much fun. You had some really boring professors in your True. PhD program. So did yes. I. So that's an investment that we made with an expected payout. And the payout is that we get to have a job that we enjoy more. We get to do what we like. We make a little bit more money. But I think it's also important to remember, first of all, that it, that's a leveraged investment, that many of us have to borrow money to be able to make that investment in human capital. And a leveraged investment means that when it pays out well, you did good. That's, you know, you get a big upside payout. When you do badly on a leveraged investment, then it's even worse. So I think what you're seeing right now is, is probably something, David, that you've seen in people, and that's people who made that leveraged investment in human capital and made the wrong choice, they regret that decision. Well, and that's true, but there is one really important aspect to that decision. Like there is a floor, right? So, you know, with student loans, there's income-based repayment, there's loan forgiveness if you work for the public sector. And so, you know, while it's true that people oftentimes, I might know a few don't make decisions regarding their education based upon kind of a financial analysis, the downside isn't as good as the upside. Because it's true, you can accumulate massive amounts of student loans, but you don't necessarily have to pay them back if you're willing to make sacrifices. And so, you know, I, I by no means am I saying, hey, go out and, you know, go to a private college for 20 years and spend a million dollars. But I'm saying that if you're going to make an investment, the best one that you can make is in yourself and your career. 
that you enjoy doing for the next 30 or 40 years. And we shouldn't forget the fact that interest rates are really low right now. So if you're saving, then you're not getting a big payout on your bonds or your stocks, probably not stock investments over the next decade or so. But if you're borrowing and you're investing in human capital, that payout that you get from human capital, even in a low interest rate environment, is not any lower. So it may be the best rate of return that you can get on your investments compared to anything else you can invest in other than maybe a match on your 401k. That makes me feel a little bit better than about going to grad school, certainly. But then what about stocks? Should I be thinking about getting into the stock market when I'm like 28, 29 years old or so? One thing I'd say real quick about, about human capital, just to go back a hot second, is that, you know, kind of like homes, human capital is both a consumption good and an investment good, right? And that's a really important point to make because you can derive additional satisfaction from having more options and more education. You could also make more money, right? So, you know, when you buy a home, right, it can go up in value. You have to live somewhere. Education's kind of the same thing where, you know, even if it isn't necessarily the best thing economically, like I went back, you know, to get a PhD mostly for, for insurance, right? It gave me more options to do when I finish the degree. And so I think that, you know, when you think about the economics of education, it isn't just, it isn't always just, does it make sense financially? It's how will it affect my quality of life in terms of options, possible career paths, things like that. Now, your next question was on investing in stocks. And you know, I think the answer is, is sure. I think anyone can invest in stocks now. You know, you can open up, you know, Robinhood is like the theme of the day. You know, you can you can open up a Robinhood account and with with 30 bucks and trade, you know, stock slices. And that can be okay. I think that the key is understanding what the stock market is. It's it's a way to create wealth over the long haul. But I mean, for some folks, it's also a way to, to day trade and pass the time. So when you talk about investing in stocks, a really important question is, is, well, what are you trying to accomplish and what are you doing with those investments? And when you're young, that human capital, that college degree that you got, that's a valuable asset. You're going to be getting money from that asset for a long time, but it's, it's a bond-like asset. And there have been studies that have propose that when you're young and most of your wealth is in human capital, your investments should be primarily in stocks. In fact, there are some who suggest that you should have leveraged investments in stocks when you're young because your overall portfolio consists so much of this bond-like human capital. So I would say definitely when you're young, you should be investing more in stocks. Now, which stock should you be investing in? I think David and I would both agree that you know, if, if you want to be able to generate the highest expected return from your stock investments, keep it boring. Invest in low cost funds that invest in a diversified mix of assets. Pay a lot of attention to how much your employer matches because that's an immediate as much, you know, whether it's 50% or 100% return on your investments, you're never going to get a no risk 100% return on your investments that you do from a match. So all young people should invest up to the match, period. There's no question. And you should probably be investing a majority of that in stocks when you're young. Now, whether you should invest in individual stocks, it's a different question. and People have different philosophies about that. I know, David, your colleague, Christine Benz, has, has really been a strong advocate for this idea of 
keeping it boring. That if you get too excited about investing in individual stocks, you can get burned. That can teach you some things that are not good. Like you do well, and it teaches you to have a very undiversified portfolio that's not very efficient. You do badly, it teaches you that stocks lose money. Neither one of those is a good outcome. But there's other people who say, you learn about the stock market by investing in stocks. You get passionate about stock investing. You learn about companies. You pay attention to financial news. That makes you more knowledgeable. It motivates you to learn more. Which is the better? And I think it, a lot of it depends on who it is. I don't think there's one answer. I mean, like I, li I like the idea of engagement. My brother-in-law is doing the whole Robin Hood thing now. And it, it's, it's gotten him to think more about just holistic planning and find, like what should I be doing with my money? And so I think that that can be a good thing now as you mentioned at the same time, if you do well, maybe you're gonna day trade your entire account. And so I think that, that it really is, is a personal thing. One thing that I, I would caution is I, I agree that, that, that people should definitely save up the match. However, you know, the goal is not to achieve the highest return through the investing. The goal is to achieve the highest return across all your assets. And so you know, if you have credit card debt, you know, you're, you're losing 20%-ish guaranteed a year on that debt. If you have student loans that aren't government loans, you could be paying six or eight or nine percent on those. And so I think that before you you get excited about investing, I think you want to ask yourself like, what is the best use of this money for me? And even if it's even if you have low interest rate student loans, it might make you happier to pay those off. And so you know everyone's different. Everyone has different goals, objectives, whatever else. But but you know before you become an investor, make sure that that that's the best use of the money, not only in terms of like, like what you're paying on your loans, but also how they make you feel across all your assets and liabilities. Thanks, David. Let's take a break for a moment. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at the americancollege.edu slash WMCP. The American College of Financial Services proudly supports the next generation of financial professionals and leaders. I'm Ross Riskin, head of the college's next-gen advisory task force. And if you're looking for important and timely knowledge on financial planning, career building, networking, and more for next-gen advisors and those working with next-gen clients, then tune into our Next Gen in 10 podcast. Subscribe and listen to all our episodes at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Hey, let's get back to our conversation. But this brings us to a, a semi-controversial topic, and that is Dave Ramsey. There's a lot of different opinions about Dave Ramsey, and some people say that a lot of the advice that he gives is not consistent with what an academic would recommend. A lot of people say, you know, in some ways, he's sort of a behavioral genius. He gets people to do the right thing. Who cares if his advice is maybe a little bit wrong? Um, but one of those pieces of the advice that he gives is, is not to pay attention so much to the interest rate on each account. So an economist would say you start with the highest interest rate credit cards, you pay those down first, then you concentrate on paying off your car loan and your student loan. Whereas someone like Dave Ramsey would say, you know, pay it all off, like don't pick and choose which account to use. And I think his argument would be more of a behavioral argument, but it's costing you money. Like, are you willing to pay money to do something that may have a better outcome, but it's not optimal? Just to be all, full disclosure, I have actually taught uh, Financial Peace University at my church, so I'm, I'm somewhat well-versed in the uh, Dave Ramsey philosophy. And I, so, like, you know, here's, this gets to a comment I made earlier, like, it's my goal to make you a good saver. 
And, you know, I think what Dave Ramsey is trying to get at is, you know, let's say that you can make 2% if you save $1,000 a year, or you can make nothing and save $3,000 a year. You're better off saving $3,000 a year. And so the things that you can do to get yourself to save more, even if it's not maximizing your return, it can actually maximize your wealth for the long haul. So I think, again, it's really individualistic, but I really do understand the kind of the behavioral lens of, hey, let's get you focused on saving to make you want to save more versus talking slowly about the math and trying to maximize your rate of return, because that's not fun. It doesn't kind of give you the same, you know, warm feels that you get from paying off certain debt. And this is Chris, one of the producers too. And speaking of fun, I don't want to sound like some hedonist, but Kyle, are you having fun enough in your life? You know what I mean? Is that an issue, friends? If we could just save and save and save, and I'm just sitting like a squirrel at home, is that living? Is that an issue that advisors have to talk to young people about? If I had to choose my biggest financial mistake, Chris, it would be that I didn't spend as much money when I was in my 20s. I'm a saver. I probably saved too much. I didn't allow myself to live as well as I could have lived during the period of your life when the amount of happiness that I can get from each one of those dollars is, is greater than it is during my 50s. And I think that's something that you have to consider. Like, what is money? Money is just access to happiness. And there is this tendency, I think, especially among people like us that are, you know, all we do is think about money all day long. There is this tendency to believe that getting a bigger stack of cash is what it's all about. And of course, it does buy us access to stuff. It does give us a certain amount of security. But we also have to acknowledge that we may not be playing this game as well as other people who actually spend the money on fun stuff. I like to use my uncle as a great example of this. You know, my uncle is one of those people, he's not going to die with the most money in his bank account, but he doesn't care. When he gets money, he spends it and he spends money on fun things. You really have to take a step back and say, you know, who's living better? Is the retiree who just conserves their hoard of cash and doesn't allow themselves to live well in retirement? Have they won the game? Or is the retiree that bounces the check to the undertaker, are they the ones that live the game the best? And that's actually second order thinking. And I think that that's probably a way, you know, we're all enmeshed in this idea of having financial security. It's a big goal for me. It's a big goal for David, you know, somebody like Wade. For all of us, having that independence is incredibly important. But at the same time, I think all of us could benefit from thinking a little bit more about, you know, we don't live forever. How do we use the money to get the most happiness possible? So let me just challenge Michael here for one quick second. So like, yes, he can look back on his life now because he is successful and has lots of money saved up and say, oh, I wish I would have spent more when I was in my 20s. But like, what if your path had been very different and you had an accident or an injury in your 40s and you lost your job and you and you, you're like, oh my God, if I hadn't saved when I did, I wouldn't have anything right now. And so because I made that good choice. And so I think the, the question is, is where do you want to end up in that decision? Now, it's a little different for retirees. I get that. And so I'm not saying save yourself into like you're miserable, but you can still spend it later on. Like you can still blow it out now if you want to. And so I think that, that yes, like, you know, people can look back and say, gosh, I saved too much, but that's a pretty good place to be in. And the other alternative is a lot worse. So, you know, I just a word of caution about like hindsight and how things worked out well. You know, you got someone here that's the, you know, the distinguished professor of finance at the American College telling you you should have spent more. Most folks might not be able to say that. <laughs> 
Well, that's a good point, David. I, I agree with everything you said. It's nice to have a little bit of security. I want to thank everybody for joining us for today's podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm David Lanchett. See y'all. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 